everybody. My name is Eric Johnson, and I'm here with my brother Derek. And our guest for today is Ms. Suki Fuller uh, in the UK. And we are very, very excited to have our old friend on here to talk about all manner of things for this next edition of Running Into the Fog. Suki, how are you doing today? I'm positively, wonderfully tired. <laughs> but that's not a bad thing. It's not because of you. It's a great, it's great tiredness. So as we record this on March the 8th, 2021, it's uh, six hours ahead, about 3.20 in the afternoon where you're at, and nine in the morning uh, here where Eric and I are. Uh, Suki, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, uh, we hope that this audience uh, reaches some newcomers. You know, can you give us a little bit of background on you know, kind of the who, what, when, where, and why of Suki Fuller? That's one of those questions when people ask me, I'm just kind of, I don't know. <laughs> Where should I start? Well, what, um, bro- so- what brought you to the United States, I guess, uh, for the first time? And uh, and then obviously you're not here now. Uh, what brought you to the UK <laughs> later on? Maybe tell us that little arc. So um, I am the child of to British parents. Uh, my father was an engineer, um, computer mechanical and en- electrical engineer. And I was born in London and lived in the Middle East, lived all around the world. And when my parents got divorced when I was younger, my mother remarried. My stepfather was American and in the Air Force. So we moved to the US um, after living around Europe, um, Kleinenbrogel Air Base in Belgium, Rhein-Main Air Base in Germany. So did sort of the whole European tour and then moved to California. So grew up mostly my eighth grade onward education is US focused. So grandparents got old or say my grandmothers got old. And so it was just time to come back to Europe with my former partner, his grandparents got old also, and he was German. So it was time to come back to Europe about five. No, it's been longer than that now. (laughs) It's about eight or nine years. So here I am back in Europe. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. And you, uh, you, you are uh, active in the entrepreneur and tech uh, world there in the greater London region, UK in general, Europe more broadly. Uh, tell us a little bit about that part of your career. So it, I think it all actually started back when I was in the US. Um, when I was at Mercyhurst um, doing my intelligence studies degree, we sort of had this, I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I know CRAT actually is a functioning arm of research, private arm for Mercyhurst University. And I was always one of those people that mentored. I never, I didn't think I was a mentor, but upon graduation and after graduation, people have often said that I mentored them while we were students. And so I got involved with some of the things that were going on in and around Erie, um, which now it's great to see like the era development fund is like, Oh, this thing is huge. So when I came to Europe after my time working in pharmacy and working in, uh, for Navistar, I had gotten involved in the tech communities in those areas. So the early days of Twitter, um, 2007, um, those early days, knowing people in tech that sort of followed me into the UK. And when I've been here, a lot of those people reached out and said, hey, we know you know US market and we'd like you to work with us. And then of course, all the people in Europe said, wait a minute, you have a global worldview um, as somebody who's also lived in China. So a lot of people have really reached out to me and asked my opinion, my strategic foresight, so to speak, on on areas associated with tech. And um, yeah. It's, it's all sort of ballooned from there. I suspect the uh, that activity for you has got to be really heating up, you know, uh, post-pandemic, even before the pandemic. Can you speak a little bit about that without breaking the confidentiality barriers that you might have in place? 
Where, where would you like me to start? <laughs> <laughs> any particular topic? Just, uh, just uh, any any commentary around uh, Middle East and or China tech implications for other parts of the world that you you feel comfortable sharing and you know what oh, uh, well, could be an that open case. <laughs> that certain Chinese company <laughs> that shall not be named. However, we all know the name. Back when I was a student at Mercyhurst, and we can actually speak about this now, when I was a student at Mercyhurst, we were one of the teams that actually identified them as being somewhat nefarious. And that was back around 2004. And that was one of our, one of our fellow students had gone to a conference and said, ah, there's something shifty going on here. And of course, that's when they were just going around recording and photographing technology at tech conferences of US companies. And so that has always been sort of one of those areas of interest for me going on from that time until the present day. So when, especially here in the UK, it became apparent they were going to be getting involved in the UK infrastructure um, a good many years ago, I, I reached out to some people. I said, mm, you may want to really take a look at this. And of course, governments don't always listen. And, and so now we have you know, that company heavily involved with the infrastructure in the UK, heavily involved with the 5G infrastructure, but it's now being looked at. And in the US, unfortunately, it, it was same, same, same sort of pattern of discovery, even though they were aware, people weren't really hindering and heeding the words that were being told to them by the intelligence community. While we're allowed to recommend, we're allowed to give our insights, our recommendations, our foresights, it's actually up to the people that are the stakeholders and the key decision makers to make the decision on whether or not they enact that. And right now we see a lot of that pullback from decisions that people had made previously and that intelligence professions had actually given to the, <laughs> to the leaders and said, maybe we wanna not do that. And they said, no, and now we have to backtrack. I was, I was, I think most of us in the intelligence community get really frustrated because if there's something you hate, it's when you end up being right and it ends up being one of the worst reasons why you are right. It's like, I, I hate being right when it's something bad that comes to fruition. And, you know, you're always going to be wrong in those situations. So you know, when I'm looking at, say, COVID last year, I was telling people, don't even think about this being something that will stop at the end of the year. Everybody said, oh, we'll be fine. I said, no, we're looking at at least 2022 before there's any, and I wouldn't say return to normalcy, but a return to some sort of similarity to what we had before. So there's no way. They just, this is not, it's not feasible. I mean, you have a world population this side in, in order for a world where everybody is hyper-connected as we are, we travel as much as we do. This thing went viral because people travel and they're not going to stop traveling just because hmm, they've got their vaccine and somebody else doesn't, they're still gonna travel. And so, it's just, it just kind of sucks sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> just, you just want to be wrong. Like, no, please let me be wrong. Please let me be wrong. Oh, I'm right. <sighs> Bad stuff. That's why they call it economics the dismal science is because at the end of the analysis, you die. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> dead. Exactly. <laughs> we can't win. <laughs> yep. Well, speaking of that, you know, I'm fascinated by um, how the UK economy in particular and Europe more broadly, but the globe too, has uh, recalibrated in the COVID era. Um, I was noticing the Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, has published the uh, the budget uh, recently. <laughs> and uh, although uh, the economy seems to have contracted about 10%, uh, it's probably more than that if you sort of count the uh, stimulus uh, a couple of times and how the stimulus has worked its way through the economy. Um, obviously, there's the elephant in the room of Brexit, uh, which recently happened uh, and or, well, recently uh, landed, maybe is the right way of, of saying that. What's your opinion on uh, an analysis, I guess, of where the UK uh, economy stands right now? Uh, is it... Um, 
how long before things start to uh, really, you know, I don't want to say emerge because that's not the right uh, vision. It's more recalibrate into some sort of set of expectations for people that they can make plans around. I think we're in a fake bubble. <laughs> we're in a big fake bubble because the chancellor, <laughs> did she risky? Um, <laughs> it's, I really don't like our present chancellor. <laughs> yep. I think he's been overhyped, but anyways, along from that, it's been, it's, a stimulus package put on top an economy which was not doing very well and so like we had our our eat out to help out last year last summer when we had our lockdown marginally opened and they said oh you know go out and eat and you can help re you know help the the restaurant industry blah 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 and it was like that's not a good idea mm. because then you have furloughs, which are artificial also, because you're really just propping up businesses that will no way be able to re-enter the market afterwards. They're going to close. They're going to lay those people off eventually. It's putting off the eventuality of a very bad economy. And the economy was going to be bad because of Brexit. Brexit just happened in the middle of the pandemic. That's all that happened. And so now you've got Brexit, and you've got the pandemic on top of Brexit. People are ignoring the implications of what Brexit was. They're just saying, oh, and the UK government will likely do this, which will be to blame it on the pandemic. They're already starting to do that. Everything is, oh, you know, because of the pandemic. No, they're just pushing the ball down the hole, just pushing it, pushing it further down. And it's unrealistic. I don't see anything. The only positive I'm seeing is the fact that it's gonna be bad faster mm -hmm. <laughs> than it would have previously been. I think with Brexit, it would have been a drawn out pain. The market would have just been getting smaller and smaller and it would have been sort of a wall of like, oh, this is a hassle, but paperwork would have drawn out. It would have been drawn out. This has just basically put a stop short. It's just basically said, this is happening now. And I don't think there's any, I don't think it's going to be pretty. I really don't. We're already seeing just people getting laid off. Not, there's no way that they're going to find another job because the market is not there. They don't have the luxury of going to Europe. They don't have the luxury of hiring people from Europe and bringing them into UK. Mm -hmm. So those cheaper end jobs that would normally be there, the service industry, they're not there because of the pandemic, because those restaurants, those hotels are not going to be functioning at the same capacity as previously. And then you have the high street stores that are not making a comeback. We've had more major, I mean, major high street stores, John Lewis, Debnams. I mean, these are companies that have been around for a hundred plus years and they've gone under they're saying we're only going to be functioning online and mm. everybody's saying oh those jobs are going to go overseas it doesn't matter if they go overseas to you know marketers overseas or salespeople online computer engineers whatever it doesn't matter that was bound to happen but it's just the fact that it has happened faster and i it's just <laughs> I'm hopeful, but at the same time, I'm being pragmatic because there has to be a shift in how the world functions. And I don't think that people are looking at that possibility. There's still very much a reverse look at, we want to go, the, the motto is build back better, I think is the motto they're using here in England. I'm going, why would you want to build something back that was not good in the first place? Right. It should be just build better. <laughs> you really need to look at the way that the environment can grow and can change, how technology can aid the change. We need to look at how the infrastructure of a country is run, the energy that it's using. It's ridiculous that they want to build back better. No, build better. Right. Yeah. Well, I had, a, I had an interesting conversation back at the start of the pandemic when it became clear 
<clears throat> at least here in the United States, uh, that we were going to print our way out of this. Uh, there's the the saying that the Fed go burr. Uh, what is it? What's the equivalent of Fed go burr in the UK? Is it? Uh, I don't know either. I don't, I don't know what that. I don't know. Well, the, the the whole idea. We by the way, over the weekend, uh, they approved the one point nine trillion dollar stimulus here, uh, and as we think of the implications of that, uh, the the ratio of employment uh, and and payroll, frankly, that comes from the government. Uh, has not been this high in a long, long time. And, and I think the UK may have a similar, if not worse, uh, picture. Um, the, the whole notion of building better, I think, is a really powerful one. And the, the, the thing that intelligence people, by the way, share is that we've got this relentless pursuit of the truth and that the, the truth uh, is the thing that ultimately we are, are trying to discover, we're trying to reveal it, we're trying to have, help others to cope with it the same way we cope with it, you know, and, and it, some of it involves just being, you know, durable, having a, having a tough skin, you know, on you and being able to cope uh, with these <laughs> uncontrollables. Talk a little bit about um, sort of where the build, build better takes us because it's not just the whole green new deal and kind of, you know, the, the, the environment side of things. There's, uh, there's a manufacturing renaissance that has to happen when foreign exchange starts to break down, as I predict we'll see in both UK and US. Oh yeah. But I mean, I always, when I look at just the whole picture, I always start with the basic infrastructure of a country. I mean, I'm talking about the way the roads are built, way that you are doing your irrigation systems, you know, how your housing is built, the roads, how they're, you know, how they're mapped. And that right now is not good. <laughs> just, mm -hmm. yeah. just the way that we are functioning every day, how we're living, the way the country is built. It's the same in the US. Yeah. You have a, a country that is built on you know, highways, you know, <laughs> and here in the UK, it's not so much highways. We have such, such the inner cities are so compact, so densely populated, which is the problem with London. You have a city, which is why the virus spread so fast yeah. because you have such a densely populated area. And now people are wanting to move outside of that. The infrastructure doesn't exist for people mm -hmm. to do that. It has to be built. But people are building the same things that have previously existed. They're building buildings in the same fashion. They're building them. They want to have the same. Oh, it's it's so frustrating. It's very frustrating because the mindset has not shifted in order for them to build something different. They don't want to consider there's too much adverse to risk. It's like they don't want to do something that's deemed different because they don't know what it, it might happen. What, what's going to happen if we build this? Well, what's going to happen if you build the same thing? It's going to have the same possible outcome. It's like this is the time when people should be willing to do something different because, as we very well know, nothing, nothing is certain. I always tell people there's only one certainty in life, and it is that there is uncertainty. <laughs> that is it. It's like we know there are things, you know, the, the only thing you can be certain of is change. Change is life. Every single second, every single minute of the day is different. That is change. That is life. And you have to try and do something different in order for change to happen in a bigger way. And it's frustrating. I look at just technology, for instance, everybody's, oh, this is great technology but nobody wants to actually implement it. So I was, I, I was saying, I had a conversation with August, uh, our lovely friend, August Jackson, mm -hmm. just uh, a few days ago. And I said, actually it was more than a few days ago. It was like two or three weeks. I think it was just before the administration, a new administration came in. I said, you know what's gonna happen? And he said, no, what? And I said, there will be some sort of military interaction. And he was like, really, you think so? He said, it has to happen. 
So yeah. there's no way that that much money was spent on the military in the last four years for that to not be used. That's, you know, it's it's almost sacrilegious to anybody that's an economist that you spend money and you don't use it for anything, but it, it's just the way it functions. And I was like, there, there, it will be used. I said, because the powers that be will want it to be, be used. It's like, mm, well, we've got this. And I said, mm, for the last four years, we really haven't done any focus on international relations. And what's happened, we have stuff going on in Pakistan that is not exactly conducive to <laughs> to the American way of life, um, to the work that we've put in, in Pakistan and Afghanistan. So now we have things going on on the border that before we had ignored, and now we're not ignoring. So, but at the same time, we've kind of lost our position as being the, the good guy police guys of the world. It's kind of like, why would we listen to you? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I see that as having implications on how people are going to build better because I think we're at a time in the world where it's basically you know what everything that you've held near and dear everything that you've said this is the right way to do it it, it's time for you to sign up put down the book and say okay we need to say this is what we're going to do this is what we're not going to do it's I think it's just a time of redrawing the lines and just really reestablishing the fundamental doctrine of what America is. I think is that I think we're at that time where it has to be done because mm. there's too many people that want to go this way, that way, up, down, left, right. And there's no clear focus on, there's no clear central point. It seems like there's a division and that division needs to be broached really mm. soon. Because yeah. it's, I think we're going to splinter, and I'm not, I'm not liking it. I don't think it'll happen in the next three to five years. I'm seeing this as something down the line, but it's happening, and it's not a very pretty sight to see all the different splinters, and it, it's worrisome. And I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't have children, but I'm worried for your grandkids, grandkids. You know, when you get to that age, it's like, ah, yeah. I'm seeing this is not good because they're just little fractions. And it's just getting bigger. But, you know, hey, hey, ho. <laughs> We're all dead Sorry in the end. We're <laughs> <laughs> all dead in the end, right? Hey, ho. That's, but, but that's exactly what you're talking about, Eric. We're, we're uh, unafraid of being the truth tellers in the room as competitive intelligence uh, experts and specialists, right? And Suki, when I reached out to you to set up this podcast, you know, we talked about a maybe a core theme of this discussion today being around technology, and I love where you're going with build better and infrastructure, you know, maybe we can pivot the the conversation just a little bit and talk to, you know, the implications for competitive intelligence through the infrastructural advancements that technology might bring this field. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Obviously that's a huge topic and a lot of different little uh, splinters of their own right in that uh, bit, but you know, any thoughts? Oh, people aren't going to like me very much. <laughs> Come on, bring it. Be the truth teller. Well, that's like why we have you. I like you better already just saying that. My my big issue is that there are too many people in the CI industry that are so focused on looking backwards mm. that they, I, I, I don't mind a good case study, but that case study should not be held up as a gold standard. That was mm. a gold standard at that time. And I always tell this to people that I mentor, to companies that I speak with, you know what? You can look at something that's happened in the past. You can take all the good learnings, all the bad learnings, and you just take it for what it is at that particular time. And maybe there is something that may work now, but it's not going to be more than 70% of what happened in that case study. Hmm. The people are different. The environment is different. It's just different. And there are too many people in the CI industry that look at those and they want to do things that way. They're not willing to apply technology in the way that I think technology should be used. I mean, I was working in pharma. So case in point, I was working in pharma in pharma CI in 2006 and 2007. I was in San Antonio visiting my brother. Actually, I was there for a conference, but then I was visiting my brother after conference. 
And that was South by Southwest was happening in Austin at that time. That was the year that Twitter had their launch party. I just happened to be in Austin, happened to acquire a wrist bracelet. (laughs) Someone was leaving and I I was like, hey, what's going on? I had no clue. I thought South by Southwest at that time was just like films and movies. You know, it wasn't really a big technology thing. It got big for technology. And I went to this party. It was Twitter. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. But, you know, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. Went back to the East Coast met up with some of the people that I met at that event and people that blogged and people that were, you know, doing connected with them on LinkedIn, as you did back then, it was like the platform and okay, fine. 2007, I said, okay, I'm going to join this thing. 2007, I'm doing a project and I'm going, Hey, wait a minute. There is a guy from, and I can say this at the time from Pfizer who was on Twitter. And he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to have coffee at this place. So I knew where Pfizer was. And he was logging in to, I can't remember what it was at the time. Uh, it was a location software that uh, oh, was okay. had the API. I can't remember back then what it was. It wasn't Brightkite, um, but it was back then. Mm. And he was logging in saying, I'm going to get coffee here. And I'm following this guy, just looking at where he's tweeting that he's going. And guess what? I figured out who they were actually hiring to do clinical trials for the for the therapeutic area that I particularly was working on. So I was using that. And I went to my boss at the time and I said, oh, I, I, I think I know what clinic they're using for, you know, this phase two clinical trial. And he was like, how'd you find that out? And I said, well, I was on this on um, Twitter. And he was like, what is that? And I said, well, it's this really cool. And they could not wrap their head around that. And they were just like, well, you can't, you need to get, you know, factual. And I'm like, it is factual. The guy is going to have coffee there. He took a picture. He's around the corner from this clinic. He comes out of the clinic. He has another coffee. And then he goes all the way back across New York City to Pfizer headquarters. And guess what? The only thing in the proximity of that and all the other people that I had then tracked was that clinic. And I was and I was doing this back then. CI people didn't really come on board. I know Eric, you were one of the early, you know, adopters of Twitter, but no one has come on board with using Twitter for purposes like that until I think it maybe got into like the early tens, you know, like after 2010 or 11, even nobody really was using that. And the thing is, even CI people aren't doing it. It's other people that have come in, recognized that opportunity and taken it and built platforms. And they're, you know, doing more market intelligence. But still, it's something that frustrates me because we are generally there, but people don't act upon it. They, they, they say, oh, well, it's not really relevant. They don't understand. And we know everything's connected. That's connected data. That's how people have built profiles. We've done it for years. We've done it and now there's technology that can enable us to do it a lot faster and people aren't willing to use that technology. I mean, people have done it. Oh, use LinkedIn to identify a source and figure out, you know, and talk to them. Well, yeah, you use LinkedIn to identify a source. You look at Instagram to see who they're friends with, who also is in that industry. And you can figure out some other things like, okay, they're connected to that person they work with, but they actually also hang out with them. And that person also hangs out with this person at XYZ company. And yeah, you know what? They tweeted that they're interested in this area. And guess what? I think that's the area that they're working on. Oh, and guess what? They also posted on TikTok. And when they posted on TikTok, what was behind them? That location that nobody's supposed to know about, but they just didn't think about it because they were doing a TikTok. It's like, come on, people. You know, people are not, they don't think beyond that. They're just thinking they're so siloed in what they use and they're not willing to join the dots. And that's what, when I'm talking to people, I'm saying, join the dots. Everything's connected. There is a full picture. That's why I love working with some of these marketing companies because they have a full picture of your whole life before you even know, you know, you're walking to the store and they already know what you're going to (laughs) buy. You know, they know what you're going to buy. They know 
how you're going to walk in the grocery store, which aisle you're going to go to, and probably, you know, what recipe you might potentially be making just based on the things that you bought. That's, that's something that we as CI professionals need to be better at. We need to be there before it even becomes there. And people aren't willing to do that. They are so, so, so afraid of doing anything that might be perceived as ahead of its time. I'm quite willing to be ahead of the time because quite frankly, you know, it's more fun than being, than being behind. I don't want to be historical. Historical, eh, you know, it's in a book already. Well, and isn't that really kind of what courage is? You know, courage is the willingness to challenge your own assumptions and uh, ask yourself, was I wrong? Uh, and were we wrong? Do we need to try something a little different there in order to see if we can produce something better? And consequently, um, re-examine our assumptions about reality. Uh, and I think that's part of what you're saying is that uh, the conceit that a lot of people in power uh, are burdened with, and I use that language very specifically, they are burdened with the conceit of their own success. Yes. Uh, and it makes it very, very hard to teach them anything new. Very, 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 very true. They don't want to ever be questioned on something that they've done in the past. That was so good. I mean, I have people that are willing to lay down in a fire field if you say something bad about Porter's Five Forces. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like, really? <laughs> Even Michael Porter said bad things about Porter's Five right. Forces. You know, it's like, come on, people. They do not want to question anything any model that has previously existed, they don't want to see it modified. They don't want to see any change. They just think whatever has worked in the past will happen, you know, it'll work in the future. You know, no. If that were the case, we wouldn't be in a pandemic right now. Now would we? Right. <laughs> and, and I think that some people, there's an element of fear when it comes to being challenged and that the conceit it is, you know, well, you know, I'm this brilliant. I figured this out, you know, 30 years ago. So it, it should be working now. It's like, okay, but what mm -hmm. have you done differently in 30 years? Because if it was perfect 30 years ago, we would definitely have moved on from that. <laughs> and we wouldn't need that, would we? Well, <laughs> and, like, and why are we still making mistakes? If it's so perfect, exactly. why are we making so many mistakes? It's uh, like, I, the thing that, oh, it's, oh. <laughs> it's when people pull out that case study, well, you know, about Kodak, shut up. <laughs> Even the guys from Kodak don't like hearing about that. One <laughs> yeah, I'm, just like, I'm just like, shut up. And now, you know, you have the, oh, you know, the Microsoft and the Apple. And it's like, those were at those times. Even the Google, you know, case study is completely different. Every single company, it's, it's all different. There are similarities, but everything is different. And I think people need to recognize that. The similarity is that, you know, well, yeah, it's technology, but everything is different. And people need to see things, subjects, topics, individuals as that individual. Mm -hmm. And when you're applying some sort of methodology to something, you can classify it as this person, you can say this company, and here's a steep analysis of, you know, their environment. But when you're looking at another company, you can't apply all the same rules all the same time. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't work. It's so frustrating, but people don't want to do the hard work. And the hard work is they just want to put everything in one category and apply it to 15 things that might seem somewhat similar. They don't want to do the hard work of realizing 15 things, you have to do that 15 times. Yeah. And people aren't willing to do that. They want to just, uh, I, uh, much as I love modeling, it's not always the right way to go, especially not in a time like this. Simulations, modeling, that's great. When you're looking at something a lot more predictable, which right, right. now is not very much. It's, it's not. We are in a time of complete flux. It's beautiful, it's scary, 
but at the same time, this is this is how life should be because if it's the same and if it's stagnant, how are we gonna have a, ever grow? How are we gonna ever know anything? How are we gonna ever get to Mars? Although I don't wanna go to Mars because quite frankly, not really much there. <laughs> it's not gonna be an enjoyable existence. I just wanna go just so I can say I went. Right. I think what you're talking about though, Suki is important. You know, the, the, the easy button mentality of getting from point A to point B in competitive intelligence, just frankly, not only is it not as fun, it's not as, as uh, eye-opening as a lot of people think. You know, you can use technology to set up some scale, of course, and, and get, you know, some of those things that are more automated, uh, you know, capabilities are important, no doubt. But, you know, the fun stuff is doing exactly what you're talking about, the, you know, identifying the source of Twitter and using the backdrop on, on TikTok and different things like that. That's, that's stuff that, you know, when you, when you go down those paths, they can become not only terribly uh, enjoyable, but they can be terribly rewarding, terribly in a good, good context. Right. Um, So I love love those implications. I love it. I, I love the fact that, you know, for me, it's a little bit scary sometimes when you, look at things that you've said in the past. So I don't know, maybe around 2014 or 15, I gave a talk at the ICI in Germany and and I said something about um, open space, office space. And um, I, I, I think I called the talk analyzing the analyst. And I said, that was going to be the next step because as, uh, as an analyst, you know, it's our biases, our mindset that goes into the analytical process. And I said, that's basically the same thing when it comes down to how technology is built. And <laughs> I think people are just kind of like, oh, you know, what's she talking about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's kind of rubbish. And I'm just like, people, this is going to happen. It, it has to happen because, I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's it's continuation of humor. You know, it, it's it's the continuation of Richard Tewer where he says, you know, that that's, that's, that's a thing that has to happen, but it hasn't happened in the CI community in the way that it needs to. Mm. And people, I think now we're getting there. There are some people going, mm, maybe we need to start looking at that. And there are some people that just completely dispute it because they are still conceited and think that everything they say is God's gospel. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and we know that's not true. Um, but it's got to happen. Mm. It's got to happen. We, uh, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen open office spaces, you know, now has been somewhat disputed on how good it is. Because I know for me, being a, an ambivert, I like being in an open office space sometimes. Sometimes I just want to be in a room by myself and not have to speak to anybody for a good 12, 14, 15, 16 days if necessary, you know? (laughs) (laughs) After conference, I love going to conferences. I love being around people. I love speaking. But after that, I just want to be by myself for a couple of days. I'm like, I I didn't even want to, you know, see a cat. You know, I thought you were going to say hours and then you went to days and I love that. (laughs) (laughs) You took it up a couple more levels. It's the truth. You know, it's, I'm, mentally and physically exhausted and it's just you just want to you know curl up into a little ball which is why the pandemic has been sort of a 50 50 curve for me on sometimes it's really good but you know i I hit what i called the covid wall of loneliness about Mm. a month ago and that was where i really realized wait a minute (laughs) i haven't had anybody in my space for a year Mm. (laughs) except for the plumber that came to fix my kitchen sink and I think I scared him and his apprentice because (laughs) I kept offering them I was like would you like some tea coffee would you like biscuit would you like anything (laughs) and they were just kind of looking at me like this woman is crazy (laughs) (laughs) you haven't been out much have you lady (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like I was like I realized hey wait a minute I I haven't had anybody in there been nobody in my house I've not had anybody else sit on my couch and you know it was it was really just kind of hit like Mm. wow and then I was you know wait a minute okay yeah I saw my family at Christmas but wasn't it just wasn't the same but when you 
are someone like me, where you enjoy being by yourself, it, it's, you know, it's, it was definitely a good time <laughs> to be, be by myself and have just a lot more time to think about things, a lot more time to stop and to look at the world and to, I did a lot more consumption of books, podcasts, mm -hmm. and just general sort of geopolitical understanding than I probably would have had the time to do. I also did waste a lot of time too. I think a lot of us did. Right. <laughs> we, we caught up on sleep. <laughs> but yeah. um but yeah it's um it's been I think an interesting time in the world of technology. And I think there's been things that have happened faster, a lot faster because we are in this current situation in the world. Uh, I think because people have had the time to, I guess it's been sort of blinders. There's good blinders and bad blinders. And I think with some people that are building things, their blinders have been, they've been so focused and so hyper-focused and they had that ability to tune out the world because it was like, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> so I might as well work on this. And, yeah. you know, and, and I don't have anything else to do but work on this. And if I had to go to a meeting or if I had to go somewhere and take that physical time to be somewhere else, I wouldn't be able to focus on this. So technology has sort of hit a hyperdrive. It's almost like, you know, you're in the millennial Falcon and it's like just going. And then all of a sudden it's like you hit the lever and you like went straight through. And that's mm -hmm. what it feels like with technology. We've advanced probably I'd say probably at least three years in one year with some of the technology that's being developed, the way that people use technology also, because everybody knows how to zoom now. I mean, you've got grandmas, great grandmas, <laughs> you know, senior citizens all over the world that normally wouldn't be doing this and they're doing it. And let me tell you, some of them are doing it a whole lot better than some people I know. Well, let's get into technology there for a second, because you stumped the chumps uh, a little a little earlier when we first got on here and we were doing our pre-show and you talked about uh, a passion that you have for NFTs, uh, which I think are non-fungible tokens from the crypto world. I know enough about crypto to be dangerous uh, to myself and others. So um, talk to us a little bit about that specific thing and what sort of uh, drives your curiosity around it, because it's something that I'd love to have uh, you infect us with. And uh, it's not something that's on my radar. So uh, school me. Oh, how can it not be? Oh, oh, stab me in the heart, Eric. <laughs> well, um, when it comes down to sort of the crypto end, um, NFTs are in sort of that Arethium arm. So what's really wonderful about this is before, the whole concept of cryptocurrencies and there's that beautiful sunlight right back again. <laughs> You're beautiful. It's lovely. You're glowing. Suck up the sunlight, you know, <laughs> in the UK, suck it up while you can. But um, in, in sort of the whole crypto world, it Bitcoin and Ethereum are sort of intangible and not recognizable. People didn't understand what that meant. Yeah. Because it was just sort of, they were just sort of concepts. People were like, oh, okay, Bitcoin, I really kind of. But now with NFTs, it's now become more tangible, more physical. People understand. I think the general public now have a little bit more of an understanding, mainly because you have recording artists saying, you know what? You have uh, Jack Dorsey saying, you can buy my tweet his original tweet because so when you're looking at an nft an nft is basically something that you buy you have the digital ownership of that but there's only one because it is on the blockchain because it there was only one it's like buying a piece of artwork like a, mm -hmm. a monet or something and you own that painting there's only one and but there can be 50 million different digital prints of it but you own the original. Hmm. So the value of your painting is significantly higher than all those digital prints. And that's basically what an NFT is. 
It's basically the digitalization of a fiat system, just like blockchain. It's a anything that's on the blockchain that's in Bitcoin is basically a fiat system. You know, blockchain is just basically making it privatized, but not privatized, but public. <laughs> I always tell people the whole concept of blockchain where people are saying, but you know, it's really, you know, making everything public. I'm like, nah, it's the digitization of private. <laughs> yeah in a public way, just more transparent way. It's just basically giving you ownership. So you can say, you know, one person owns Jack Dorsey's tweet. Meanwhile, people can screenshot it. People can, millions of people already have, you know, retweeted it, have, you know, retweeted with their own quote, but the actual tweet would now belong to that person who buys it for 2.5 million or whatever it is. Uh, NFTs or whatever coin he's asserted that it's going to be. So that's what's really fascinating because it gives more of a, a, a concrete value to things in the mm. world. And that I think is really fascinating because you have now people coming up with their own coins, their own creator coins. Um, I was invited to create my own coin because someone wanted to pay me for shouting them out. And they said, you know, they they sent me a message and they said, well, what's your coin? <laughs> you know, I want to pay you with coins. And I was like, I don't have a coin. I was <laughs> like, you know, just saying thank you is enough. And they're like, no, you got to get a coin. So I actually now started looking at getting my own creator coin. So, hey, you know, if people want to pay me in creator coins, that's fine. You know, they put some value to, you know, me saying, hey, you know, give a shout out to this person or whatever. Well, you just taught me a lot. And that by the way, is what intelligence is all about. Intelligence is about going to sources who know more than you do about reality and uh, convincing them to disclose some of what they know. Uh, so thank you for that. I I feel like I'm a little less dangerous uh, on the on the topic, but that might not be good for anybody. Uh, <laughs> my attitude, as Derek can tell you, you can probably tell, you've probably got oh, first-hand experience. I've got, I've got uh, so many stories, Suki. <laughs> that I could share, but we from simply birth, don't, right? don't have time. <laughs> from your birth, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the, the, you know, that's the thing. Out, your little brother was holding you. Your big brother was holding you. <laughs> there are times in our lives where um, one of us holds the other up and then, you know, that reverses and the other one steps in, holds the other up. And that's that's what's cool about, you know, the, uh, the chumps from Wisco. Um, you know, and what, what we hope with all of our podcast guests is that they also feel that somehow through the Johnson brothers. And, you know, we have this saying around here that we love to, to champion others' causes. And, you know, Suki, I hope that in some small way you've felt it, that you've uh, felt like the Joe bros from Wisco have championed your cause. Cause it's, oh that's our gosh, intent. Yes. You, you two are two of my favorite people in CI oh. since the beginning of when I first went to a CI conference as a student at Mercyhurst, you have consistently been supporters of everything I've done. You've been some of just, you've always been really great. I love you too. Oh, <laughs> I love, I love, love everyone's like, oh, virtual hug. <laughs> you know, right. I, right I, I, you know, there's probably some of my fondest memories of things I've done in, in CI have been, you know, <laughs> at CI conferences. Uh, we won't talk about I those. What, what happens at CI conferences <laughs> remains at CI conferences. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah, everything that you've done and everything, Aurora, you, you've been such a positive impact, I think, on the industry. You know, you've, you've always done some really great stuff. So. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Well, I remember fondly, I remember fondly a couple of those encounters, one of which was just a couple of summers ago. We, we got to hang out in London and had a couple of gin and sodas. I think I, I was drinking gin and sodas. I think you might have been drinking the tonic. Uh, and I, I also remember another one. It was about 2007. I think we were at a skip conference at the Marriott Marquis on Times Square. And I want to say Tracy Morgan uh, from SNL was hanging out at the bar and we ended up hanging out with Tracy Morgan that night. Uh, but I, I could be, I might've had a little bit to drink. So, you know, what's really weird. It's like, you know, when you have those little pieces of memory and you're just like, did that happen? Or do I just, I don't, 
and because back then, I mean, we weren't all running around with our phones taking pictures. We did, but we not to the extent that you do now. Right. You know what I mean? It's like you don't document those things. We definitely were living in the moment. And right. I I remember, <laughs> but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I remember. But I must say, 2007, you know, I was I was living in New Jersey, northern New Jersey. I was in New York City a lot. And I have a friend where we were on some celebrity's boat one evening. I don't remember which celebrity, and we're talking, it was New Year's. I don't remember. <laughs> and I have to this day, I'm just like, dude, whose boat was that? He's like, I don't remember. And it was just <laughs> a boat packed with all these celebrities. And somebody else who was there that we know in common has pictures. And I said, whose boat was it? They don't remember whose boat it was. Nobody remembers. We just have pictures of us with like, all these celebrities and and I'm going, Oh, okay. We don't know whose boat it was. Lovely. Is that kind of like getting uh, a ticket into South by Southwest a few years back? <laughs> that was one of the best things that ever happened. I mean, my, my sister-in-law was pregnant. We took a day trip to Austin and she was just tired and everywhere we were going in downtown Austin was shut off because of South by Southwest. So we couldn't go in. And some people were coming out and I said, what's going on? You know, we really want to go in here and get something to eat. And they said, oh, it's a private party. And I was like, what are you talking about? Private party for what? This is South by Southwest. And I said, I thought it was just movies. I thought it was just like the movie theater and stuff. And they were like, no, no, there's tech part. And I was like, okay. And they said, you want to go check it out? And I said, yeah, sure. And they said, well, you're going to need this bracelet. And this guy slid the bracelet off his arm of his wrist and gave it to me and I put it on and my sister was like she was like I'm not gonna go in now I just want to sit down so the bouncer brought a chair for her to sit down and I went inside and I I've never lived it down to this day because I was inside there probably for about an hour and a half <laughs> and my sister-in-law was sitting outside in the sand and <laughs> the, the heat of Austin, but you know, she's used to it. She lived in San Antonio, but you know, she's just sitting out there and you know, I came out, brought her some water and went back inside, met a whole bunch of people. And that's actually where I met a lot of the people that um, like Marcel LeBron who formed uh, Radian. Um, there were a bunch like Chris Brogan, um, a lot of the, the really big tech bloggers of that time that really were like the early adopters of Twitter. And that's where I met a lot of them was just that, that event. And then, it, you know, they'd be like, yeah, you really should join this. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. That's too much information. And I said, ah, oh, why not? Let's do it. Once I got on, there I am. Yeah. yeah. The, the well, <laughs> what a great uh, conversation, Suki and Derek, we've had here. And any, I guess, uh, I just had somebody pull into my driveway and my dogs decided to attack. Uh, so I went mute there in the background. In, in anticipation, that's going to happen again. Uh, let's wrap it up uh, for today and plan to have you back in the not too distant future. But our little guild of uh, sort of merciless truth tellers, I think, need to uh, chew through some of the BS in the world uh, today. And I would love to do that with you uh, more often, my dear. What yes. final words? Um, I think that uh, I think within the intelligence, within the CI community, I think there are people that are afraid to challenge those that are considered senior. And I think there needs to be coming a time of reckoning to realize, you know what, you may have that um, level of experience and res I respect that, but at the same time, I think there's it's time to hand off to the new guard. And I don't think I'm particularly the new guard. <laughs> I'd say I'm more like the middle guard right now, but I think that there's there's it's time now to hand off to the new guard and really start to look beyond where we have been in the past 
and what we could potentially do in the future. I think there needs to be a shift in that mentality of we need to be at the beginning. We need to be at the forefront. We shouldn't be the late adopters of technology. We shouldn't be the ones that are using technology when it's been around a good couple of months. Um, I'm on Clubhouse. Uh, when I got on Clubhouse, I was just astonished. I was like, why are there no other CI people coming on here? I understand it's Android. You know, it, it's Android people, majority of CI people, I think, are using Android. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? We should be there. There are conversations that are being had on that platform, and we are not having a say. And they are the people that are shaping things going on in the world. This is one of the reasons why I work with tech VCs and advise companies. And it's like, how are you going to be deciding on this technology? And you haven't actually spoken to anybody who can tell you about the competitive landscape. It's like you people don't look at the competitive landscape until you're getting ready to market. What what kind of rubbish is that? And it's just frustrating that CI people are constantly looking at things from a uh, let's look back. I I I don't want it, it crushes me. It's soul crushing. And I feel like sometimes there's just a few of us that are just going, hey, how about we think in a forward manner? How about we instead of think about how it could potentially be, how about we're there? And we are helping those decisions happen at the very beginning. It's like how we position CI needs to change. Mm. Yeah. And I, I don't know how, but it, it needs to change. And, you know, saying we're futurists, okay. If people want to say that, that's fine. But we have to be there in order to be giving the best advice. And if we're not, then we're just going to be relegating ourselves out of existence but hey you know well said uh i love it derek any final words for our audience today and we'll we'll wrap this up and uh wish you a uh very happy evening uh suki in the uk yeah. final words derek i'll just say suki thanks for coming on uh, love to have you back someday we'll see you on the ci fellows channels and, and elsewhere in our community and just keep keep doing you. You, you, uh, you have such an energy and such a vibe that uh, kind of to, to some of us middle timers uh, in this space is really um, not only attractive, but in contagious in a, in a really good way, non-COVID way. So uh, <laughs> thank you, my dear, and uh, love it and uh, love you and, and hope that you have a, a great uh, many weeks of renewed uh, chances to to get together with some of those people that haven't sat on your couch in a while. Oh, thank you very much. I, I'll, you know, I love you guys. And I know that we are very much of the same mindsets. So, you know what? Um, it's, it's always great to speak with both of you and it's always a pleasure, you know? So if you want me to come back, you know, we talk about some more specific projects or, you know, topics. I'm more than happy. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, you've been you a treat uh, to have on here today. And when this is all over, uh, the Joe Bros will be sitting on your couch cushions, enjoying some tea and biscuits, or maybe just gin and tonic. Uh, how, how about that? Gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been yeah. drinking much because, you know, it's no fun to drink alone. So, right. um, so it's like my tolerance is probably really, really bad. I mean, I can't even eat red meat anymore. There you go. Oh, yeah. The things, you know, the things. The, the things. Yeah. Suki, need, thank, thanks again for <laughs> thanks again for everything. We'll we'll see you in the not so distant future, I'm sure. Yeah. Make that happen. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, before we go, and then I'm going to stop the recording and then we can wrap up off uh, recording. But tell us where people can find you online and track your many exploits and uh, and adventures. Exploit and adventures. Mm. So yes, I'm on Instagram. I'm the worst when it comes to posting on social media this past year. I've been really terrible. Um, social media. So Instagram, Suki Fuller. Um, Twitter, Suki Fuller. LinkedIn, Suki Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my website is SukiFuller.com. Or you can, but that needs updating. 
or you can reach me on the DC Analytics website, which is dcanalytics.net. And, you know, if you, if you just want to find me, I'd say the best way is probably LinkedIn. I also understand that you're uh, getting an agent to help with your speaking career, and there might be a bit of a bidding war uh, starting. So if I can add to the bidding war, uh, come and get them, folks. <laughs> Uh, Suki's a hot commodity and definitely somebody that you want to keep uh, keep an eye on and, and start listening to. So with that, uh, thanks so much, Suki. Thanks for being here, Derek. Uh, wouldn't do this without you, obviously. And uh, next time, I hope you guys rejoin us for Running Into the Fog, uh, which we can talk a little bit more about what that all means uh, on future podcasts. So thanks again, Suki. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, it's great fun Thank today. You. Bye, gang. <laughs>